Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our passage for this episode is Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 to 9. Let's read this now. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, Jesus has just given a pretty important lesson for his disciples, using an actual child to demonstrate his point. He spoke of being like a child in the way they engage with God and each other, and where necessary, change in order to become like one. But then he instructs his disciples to be welcoming to such people as well, and it appears Jesus has a broader meaning that he wants them to engage with. In verse 5, the word for child or little ones is padion. And this speaks almost exclusively of actual children. It is used in other places, such as 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul describes the church as childish in their faith. But in verse 6, the word used is mikros, which means the least in the context of rank or influence. In our Bible passage today, we see it translated more broadly as little ones. So Jesus is saying this. Instead of arguing about who was the greatest in their midst and fighting to hold the monopoly on God and the rank they held in the scheme of things, remain instead in a lowly and childlike state. Then open their hearts to those deemed vulnerable by Jesus, most certainly beginning with children and impressionable youths, but also extending to those in society that were the least desirable to have around. No matter who it was, if they were going to go on record as believers, this is an active verb and one which takes a rather courageous step, and if they were choosing to offer themselves for service to the kingdom of God, then disciples have no other course of action but to embrace them and show them the way to live. Only a child's heart was capable of seeing the kingdom of God and only a heart big enough to welcome the ones Jesus calls little ones would be big enough to accommodate Jesus. But it doesn't end there. Disciples are also being called upon to ensure these little ones don't stumble. To stumble in the Greek is the result of having something placed in their way that trips them, or something they would be unable to get around in order to move forward. The world around them had stumbling blocks ready to go. The alternative religions of the pagans were rife with all sorts of debauchery and attraction. The might of the Romans offered temporal power or prestige to those who would pledge godlike allegiance to its emperor. The church would develop a few in their early days as well. The first one happened when it forgot the time-honored understanding among the Jews that widows and those in need were precious to God. 
Some in Acts chapter 6 were becoming the victims of preferential treatment. The next one would be what to do with non-Jews now that they were being brought into the faith. Some taught that they had to endure some very Jewish things, such as circumcision, in order to follow Christ. Both of these things were rightly dealt with in order for the little ones of the world to flourish in their faith. Later, we see other issues which might lead to little ones stumbling, and these are rightly called out. Poor doctrine, unethical leaders, and church power-broking were all issues, as was moral impurity, the absence of love and unity, misguided understandings of spiritual gifts, and ignorance of the poor. In all of these things, the faith journey of vulnerable believers, and in some cases their physical well-being, could be harmed. The little ones, according to Jesus, would stumble or stand based on the influences that came their way. And when a little one stumbles, the human cause would be held to account. That's where the reference to the millstone comes in. A millstone was a handy gadget made of two circular stones, which you would feed grain into to crush it down to flour. There were smaller ones for single use and others which needed two people to handle. Then there were Okinos millstones, the big ones requiring the pulling power of a donkey or an animal. These were the ones which Jesus was referring to here. To a Galilean mind, getting thrown into the sea never to have your body recovered was a source of horror to them. They considered the depths of the sea to be a dwelling place of the ghosts of the unburied dead. This explains why the disciples thought Jesus was a ghost when he previously walked on water towards them. Yet Jesus indicates that this should be seen as a more desired outcome than having God get his hands on you if you are doing harm to others. To avoid such a horrific end, Jesus places the onus on his disciples to ensure that their actions would not be the cause of stumbling, in themselves or in others. The method in which we do this is by applying a principle already found in the Sermon on the Mount. If your eye, your hand, or your foot causes sin, cut it off. Previously, Jesus has used this line of thinking in the context of sexual conduct. Now, with equal force, he prescribes the same treatment to those who wield influence over those who are vulnerable in the church. The eye is about the things you deliberately look at. We are told here that if there are things we look at that don't belong, cut them off. Because a vulnerable believer somewhere is watching our conduct, and they are taking note of what we are turning our eyes to and taking their cues from us. Also, we know in our sexually saturated world that there are vulnerable people who can be exploited by what we turn our eye to as well. There is both a direct and indirect principle in play here. The hand, of course, is about the things we touch. If there's things in our proximity that we as believers have no business touching, we need to cut them off. Because weaker Christians are looking to us to know what they should be turning their hand to and also because vulnerable people may be harmed by what we are putting our hand to as well. And the foot is about the places we go to. If we go to places that we should not, we need to cut those things off because little ones are following close behind. Our example will pave the way for the little ones, or it will cut them off altogether. And Jesus is making an urgent call to his disciples to get the scalpel out and get these things right in their lives. So, let's reflect together. I believe there is a mandate for the church here which must not be ignored. It is the mandate to look out for the little ones. 
In the Old Testament, the little ones were the widows, the foreigners, and the orphans. In the New Testament, this doesn't change. They, according to James, continue to be part of our true religion. Jesus actually makes the list of little ones even greater. He starts with children. He adds tax collectors, publicans, and much of working-class Galilee as a whole. Paul and other New Testament writers continually reinforce these standards from Jesus and add others based on the various contexts they are writing to. Across all of Scripture, it is clear God has a deep interest in the little ones. And therefore, so must we. So, friend, do you have a look-out-for-the-little-ones policy? If so, are you doing right by those you are looking out for? Are your eyes, hands and feet in good order and above reproach? Are they setting a good example for others? If you have no such policy, well, now is the time to form one. There is a bit of a trend in recent years of influential people and celebrities shooting down any notion of being a role model to others. But this really is an unavoidable reality for all of us. Like it or not, somebody, somewhere, is watching your eyes, your hands, and your feet. They are taking their cues from you. They are looking at faith through your lens. They are forming their faith by your outlook and actions. So, disciple, lean into this reality. Be an example they seek. Be the protection they need. Be a source of flourishing to the little ones around you. And do everything you can to remove any risk of stumbling. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.